Thank you, Marissa. Good morning again, folks. I'm really happy to see you. You didn't catch it. My name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. I think most of you know me. I am uh, happy, happy today to talk to you from the Word of God. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. If you could be finding that, uh, if you've got a paper Bible with you, or if you've got it, you can pull it up on a device or something. Totally okay to be using your smartphone or device to engage in the service. Um, maybe not do so much on, like, Candy Crush or whatever, but uh, unless that helps you concentrate, and then, you know, we'll have that conversation. That's, I've heard some people say that. Today, I want to talk to you about a concept called the Millennial Kingdom. Millennial Kingdom. Now, in the present, if someone says the word millennial, what comes to mind is the millennial generation. Okay. The millennial generation, that is the generation that came of age around the turn of the millennium, that is around the year 2000. Kind of the the oldest millennials are about 40-ish, and the youngest millennials are about 24, 25-ish. So that actually, you know, we got some millennials here, and I actually sort of barely squeak in, just barely, just barely squeak in there as being the oldest, crustiest millennial in the place. (laughs) The, according to who's making up the rules of, of the age and all that. So, yeah, and, it, and uh, you probably, if you're not a millennial, you got some that you love. Um, the thing millennial, the millennial generation is most known for is being complained about. The millennials are doing this. The millennials are doing that. You know what? That is not a new thing about an older generation complaining about a younger generation. That has always always happened. When I was growing up doing farm work, I got to hear over and over again, not from my dad, but from my uncles, how this new generation didn't know how to do anything. I will never forget it in my life. My grandpa Thomas, who's with the Lord now, he said, kids these days, they don't know how to do nothing. They won't even know how to wipe their rear end without looking it up on a computer. And he just, you got to understand, this is a toothless old man miming this out. How do I wipe my and he didn't say but. Um, anyway, there's a wiki how on that now, by the way. If you're unsure about what to do, you can find that. I would not look that up because somebody will be checking your browser history. And you don't, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So you don't want to have to explain that. Anyway, it's always been that way. My dad said when he was growing up, the older men said, oh, these boys, they can't work. And my dad could work anybody into the ground. So that's not a new thing. For one generation to complain about the next generation, how they're just not measuring up, how they just don't know how to work, how they just don't know how to do anything. And the millennials who got complained about so much are complaining about the Gen Z kids, okay? The Generation Z kids, by the way, they were the ones eating the Tide Pods, not the millennials. Just so you know, it was the Gen Z kids. So they obviously, you know, they're... The thing is, my my Gen Z daughter is giving me the look now, like, Dad, don't bring up the Tide Pod thing. That's That's gone. That's gone, yeah. Yeah, we don't have Tide Pods. We, uh, we have to get the free and clear stuff anyway, so sorry. They don't have as much flavor. <clears throat> yeah, and anyway, yeah, and then, and then there's Billy who doesn't know what's going on right now. It's a, that's a different generation. I don't... <laughs> anyway, the day is coming when all the generations will get along. It's called the Millennial Kingdom, and it doesn't have anything to do with the Millennial Generation. But it is a time where many generations will be living all at once, maybe as many as 40 or 50 generations alive at the same time, and all getting along. 
So do the math on that. 40 or 50 generations, like some of these people are going to have to be a thousand years old. Really, really old. How can that be? Well, that is exactly what's going to happen. It's a special time. This time I want to talk to you about today. Thousand years of peace. Millennium and millennial, those are words that originally referred to a period of a thousand years. Didn't have anything to do necessarily with you know, the millennial generation. Uh, you might be able to remember the dawning of the new millennium that happened as 1999 became 2000. If you're older than the millennial or younger than the millennial generation, you probably weren't there for that or don't have much memory of that. But some of us can remember where we were when 1999 became 2000, and it was supposed to be this big, huge thing. Remember, all the computers were supposed to crash, and, and they were supposed to think that it's 1900, not the year 2000, and the banks were supposed to lose all of our money, and the electrical grid was supposed to shut down, and the world was supposed to fall into chaos, and we would all be in bunkers subsisting on Vienna sausages and beanie weenies. Billy, those beanie weenies will get old after a while. I, don't, I like them too. But. but of course, all the drama that was promised didn't really happen. It was kind of a non-event. For the most part, all of the things that were hyped up, all the big hyped up promises did not happen. There, there was no crash. There was no chaos. There was no beanie weenies. It was just another day, by and large. The promise didn't come to pass that that, that, millennium, that millennium didn't live up to the hype. So you might say, well, what about this millennium you're talking about today, preacher? Is it going to live up to the hype? And as a matter of fact, what about all the promises of God? God's made a lot of promises that don't seem to have come true yet. If you read in the Old Testament, there's a lot of things that have not come to pass yet. Does God keep his promises? Yes, he does. Even on days when it's, it doesn't look like it, even on days when you and I are struggling, God keeps his promises. That is the main thing I want to get across to you today. God always keeps his promises. Promises that he made thousands of years ago. Promises that he makes today and tomorrow. God keeps his promises. You can trust him. So, These promises about the millennial kingdom are spread all over the Bible, but our primary text is Revelation 20. That's where we're going to be today, Revelation 20. And uh, one thing you'll notice or not notice as we go through is the word millennium. You won't see the word millennium there. You'll see the phrase thousand years repeated time and time again, and that is the same thing as a millennium. Uh, Later on, when the Bible was translated into Latin, The word millennium is more or less of Latin origin. It means a thousand years. It's just a shorthand way of referring to this 1,000-year period of peace and blessing, okay? So you won't find the word in there. doesn't mean it's not there. It's just a shorthand way of referring to it. Okay, so I want to read Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. This happens right after the tribulation period. Jesus has just come back. Big things are going, you're going to like what happens here. You're going to like this. All right, goes like this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon. Who's the dragon? It explains that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which was then shut. 
and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. I want to stop and pray for us. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you will speak to us about the promises of this day to come and help us to remember that all your promises will come to pass in your time, in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world where it is difficult to imagine what it would be like without evil. There's evil everywhere around us. And I, I don't care what, uh, what background you're from or your feelings are this way and that on the issues. Everybody on the planet looks around and sees things that are not right. You see things that, that bother your sense of justice, don't you? That this isn't right this is wrong. There's spiritual darkness everywhere. People treat greed and selfishness as gods. The world is overrun with sin. Sick with sin. People do terrible things to one another. They rob and they cheat and they oppress and they would run over their grandma for a dollar. Man, the devil has the run of the place. Does it not seem that way? He is called in several places the God of this world or the Prince of this world. And I don't want you to understand Satan as being some sort of deity because he is not. However, God has permitted him to have some power in this world. It's not something I'm too happy about, but that is the way it is. He's constantly tempting people, stirring up trouble. Even God's kids can feel the devil picking on them. You ever noticed how it's so much easier to do the wrong thing? To say the wrong thing. You have to stop yourself from saying the wrong thing. And make yourself say the right thing. Or maybe that's just my experience. And y'all's halo is a lot shinier than mine. I don't know. But for me it is very often a struggle to do the right thing. To have the right reaction. To not do things that huh, I regret. And I have to go back and apologize for. Even when we try to live right. Things like... Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and lust and pride weigh us down like boulders. It's frustrating. You try to do the right thing, but there's always the temptation to do wrong. But we're reading about a day here where the tempter, the devil, is going to be locked up. How does that sound? No more devil to have to deal with. The day's coming when the devil's going to be imprisoned and his influence will disappear. What will that be like? I just, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around a world with no devil in it. When he doesn't have that influence, when we're no longer tempted to do evil, when doing the right thing is no longer difficult, it's easy. It's natural. That's wild. In the millennial kingdom, almost all sin will go extinct. People born during the thousand years of Christ's kingdom on earth They'll still be able to sin, from best I can understand, but they just won't want to sin. That'll be something. You will not have to teach a kid to be good. They'll already be good. That's nice. Of course, all our children here at Recreate Church are good babies. They are good. They are good, but you know what? <laughs> even the good ones, even the good ones... 
have a sin nature. All of us have a sin nature. Okay. And as for those who have already gone to heaven, see, this is way on down the line. This is after the rapture of the church. This is after the tribulation period. This is after the believers have come back with Jesus. Those who have come back with Jesus to live on earth with him, they won't have a sin nature because they will have already been perfected and glorified. And, and if you're a believer here today, that means you. That means you'll live a life where you won't have that darkness and ugliness in your heart anymore. You'll never experience, again, things like jealousy or hatred or bitterness. We will forever be changed. For a thousand years, the earth will finally be something like it should have been all along, with no sin in it. You ever picture the Garden of Eden? How that would have been? Paradise. Man, leave it to human beings to mess that up. The only things we got to do is lay around, mess around in the garden, eat some fruit. Just don't eat that one fruit. And we mess that up. That's human beings for you. God gave us the ability to choose, and unfortunately we have so often used that ability to choose in a destructive way. But all that's going to be restored. And we do read this little bit at the end of verse 3 here, this foreshadowing that after the thousand years is up, the devil's going to get one more shot. I want to talk to you about that next week because a lot of people will be born during that time period who will never have known what temptation is. And the devil will get one more shot to deceive. So we're going to read a little bit further in the passage and see what else happens. We've read about how the devil's locked up. Now we're going to read about how the dead are raised up. Verse 4. Give a shout out to Casey Young, who's doing such a fantastic job. Good job over there, young lady, with our slides. Reads like this. John, who sees this vision, says, Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them, had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for the proclaiming of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Lots of details here. We won't get them all, but the gist is... After the devil has been locked away, the Lord will begin to raise up the dead. And we're specifically told what group this is. These are people who have become believers during the tribulation period. These are what we might call the tribulation saints. These are people who chose Christ instead of Antichrist, who would not take on the mark of the beast. And many of them paid with their lives. They were faithful to him unto death. But as a reward for their suffering, they will be raised and they'll reign with Christ. In this life, here and now, we're unlikely, at least in this country, currently, to be arrested simply for being a believer or be beheaded. Not saying ever, that will never happen, because it could. We can't assume that we'll have freedoms forever. This podcast goes out all over the world. It goes into countries where they do not have freedom. Do you realize some element of what we're doing today is illegal in about one out of four countries in the world? You have a Bible, that's illegal in a lot of places. You talk openly about Jesus, that's illegal in a lot of places. You identify openly as a Christian, 
that is illegal in a lot of places. We cannot presume we'll always have the freedoms we have here. Nevertheless, even if we continue to enjoy these freedoms, following Jesus does come at a cost. Has anyone figured that out yet? That it will cost you something if you're going to live for God. What's it going to cost you? Well, it will mean that because you are doing things God's way, you will not be able to do things the world's way sometimes. And if you are living by the values of Jesus and what he taught us, there are times you will be misunderstood by people who don't. Maybe even mistreated. Maybe even some other people who say they're Jesus people might not always understand why you're taking it so seriously. Your integrity might make people feel uncomfortable, especially when you are dedicated to being honest and not cutting corners when you could get ahead by being a little dishonest and cutting a few corners. And I'm not really just talking about when kids under 10 eat free and you look at your 15-year-old and say, you nine today, boy. That's not what I'm really talking about. I remember going somewhere with somebody. It was not in my family. It was some, some friend's house I went over to. And the dad in the car were going to a ball game or something and said, you're nine today. Sir, I'm 11. You're nine today. So that's not really what I'm talking about. But there's a lot more serious things in this world that if you are a person of integrity, you won't be able to do what everyone else is doing because it's not right and sometimes you will suffer for that following jesus in this life means you have to follow his plan for your life which might be something so much different than what you imagined i can tell you all kinds of stories about that if you want to sit down and talk with me because a lot of stuff in my life has played out differently than i thought but what we see here is whatever the price we pay it's worth it it is worth it these folks in the tribulation period that's being talked about here they will pay the ultimate price they will pay with their lives and yet it will be worth it they will be raised up and they will reign with christ as kings and priests queens and priests whatever works for you a hundred if a hundred years of life on earth that's hard is nothing in comparison to a thousand years in paradise it's going to be worth it. Even if it doesn't feel like it's worth it today, it's going to be worth it. Now we're told in here, interesting phrase, that this is the the first resurrection. First resurrection. What does this mean? Resurrection is a big concept in the Bible. It's talked about in the Old Testament some, but in the New Testament a lot. Resurrection goes like this. All right, we know and we have many, many promises that when a believer passes away, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. But their body remains behind. That's why we have things like cemeteries. We've got to know, well, well, what do we do with this body that has been left behind? It is put away somewhere or dealt with somehow. We have the promise that when a believer dies, their spirit goes to be with Jesus. Well, what about the body? We also have the promise that the day is coming when God will raise the bodies of believers and perfect them. Am I talking about reanimating corpses like zombie movies? No. I'm talking about being rebuilt atom by atom into perfection, into absolute perfection. So the raising of the tribulation saints is the last part of the first resurrection. They'll be raised. 
You know what the first part of the first resurrection was? You know the first person to be raised from the dead, never to die again? I'm not talking about folks like Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. Because Lazarus, yep, he was really raised from the dead. But what eventually happened to Lazarus again? He's died again. He, he got some extra time. He got one of them green mushrooms on Mario Brothers and got himself an extra life. But eventually that one ran out too. And, you know, he had, that was it. The first person to die and be raised and never die again, Jesus. He's the first fruits from among those who have died. The second part of the first resurrection will be at the rapture of the church when God raises the living believers and raises the dead believers and uh, they go to meet him in the air and then the, it will be finished up here with the tribulation saints being raised. Now, everybody who is a believer in all history has been brought back to life. Pretty cool stuff. Wonderful stuff. The first resurrection, that's what we call it. Is there a second resurrection? Yes, there is. That's the one you don't want to be a part of. All right. You want to be a part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection is unto life. The second resurrection is unto judgment. The only people left are those who have rejected Jesus and they're going to be raised to stand before the throne of God. And I know people picture it in their minds that they're going to stand before the throne of God and give an explanation for their life. And, and God's going to be like, okay, now that I've heard your story, <laughs> all right, go on in. But nobody can talk their way into heaven. Nobody can live good enough to earn a spot in heaven. It just doesn't work that way. So there is no, nobody in the second resurrection is getting in. They'll be subject to the, what's called the second death, which is eternal separation from God. Man, it gets a lot worse. We'll hit that next week. You want to be a part of the first resurrection, not the second resurrection. The good news is you can be part of the first resurrection, and the hard part has already been settled. Jesus already came. Jesus already gave his life on the cross. And we are made a part of that, not because we're being so good or we've kept the rules so perfectly, but because we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. That is what we're all about. As a church, if you got one of those brochures today, we're a it probably says in there we're a community of life and love, leading with the mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about. We want you to get hooked up with Jesus not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. We really believe that if you'll get a hold of Jesus, he'll change your life. And that's the beginning of something so new. Okay, so when we compare this with other scriptures, we get an idea of who's going to be on the earth during the millennial kingdom. I've already mentioned those, those uh, believers in glorified bodies, immortal bodies, which includes the church, the tribulation saints, and the Old Testament believers, either having been resurrected from the dead or raptured. So we don't know a lot about what these resurrection bodies will be like. 1 John 3, 2 says we'll be like Jesus after he was raised from the dead. I got some really good news for you guys. According to the scriptures, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he still got to eat stuff. Amen. Can I get a witness? He ate some stuff. So in eternity, we ain't just going, you know, and he ate some good stuff too. He had some fried fish. That'd be fish fries in heaven, Dad. This man right here can make some catfish. I guess they're going to have to get to, I don't know. I can't really prove all of this stuff, but, uh, well, that particular thing. I do know that Jesus, in his resurrected body, was able to eat, but I'm going to guess that he didn't have to eat, but he got to eat. All right? Like the old preacher that I heard, 
He said, I don't eat because I'm hungry. I eat to keep from getting hungry. And he looked like, I, you could tell. You could tell. He, he was carrying a little extra, and I don't have any room to speak. So we're moving on to another topic. Um, Jesus in his resurrection body was not bound by space. There are instances after he was resurrected, he just kind of disappeared in one spot and showed up in another place. I kind of hope we get to do that. That would be fantastic. I, I can't prove that we will get to, but the scripture says we'll be like Jesus, and he could do that. So that'll be pretty cool. Uh, we'll also be set free from all sickness, disease, death, and I'm certain injury. God will be filled with God's glory. It almost, look, please don't consider this sacrilegious. I don't mean this sacrilegious. All you internet people listening to the podcast later, I don't consider this sacrilegious. I don't mean it that way, but it, it kind of sounds like we'll be superhero type people. Doesn't it? I mean, can't be injured, can't be sick, can potentially teleport. That sounds pretty cool to me. So, I mean, we'll find out. We'll find out. So if, if we're there and you guys are doing your thing in the Millennial Kingdom, you walk up and say, hey, you were right, preacher. Look at this. Boop, 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 boop. Flip. You know, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, there'll also be some tribulation believers who survived the tribulation, possibly. It doesn't expressly say that all the believers will pass away. They might. They might not make it. So there could be some of those. Um, parts of the Old Testament imply that there will be some Jewish people who survive the tribulation period. And, uh, of course, the indication is also that uh, all the Jewish people who remain will become believers. Uh, Zechariah 12, 10 through 14 talks about that. That they'll recognize, they'll look upon him whom they have pierced and recognize him as the Messiah. And uh, there will be some Jewish people living in that time and will repopulate the land, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. And then there's a special case. This one's a little difficult to parse out, but it could be. It doesn't say that there isn't, and there is some indication from some of these Old Testament passages. There'll be some people who make it to the end of the tribulation who didn't take the mark of the beast, but they didn't actually become Christians either. That part is a little... I'm, that's not a hill I want to die on, okay? We won't fight about that. We'll let that go. But it seems like that will have to be in order to, uh, to fulfill things like um, Matthew 25. He talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. It may come into that place there. Probably need to do some more research on that. But it is possible. And if that is the case, that just shows you how merciful God is. God is merciful all the way through, even through the tribulation period, even to the end of the tribulation period. He is still merciful. Okay, so we have seen the devil locked up. We have seen the dead raised up. Now we're going to see the deal held up. In, in addition to what we read in Revelation 20, there are many, many promises about what's going to go on in the, in the millennial kingdom. Could not possibly cover them all today, but what I want to do is kind of give you five broad things as I go through these, we're going to have them up on the screen. Casey's going to put them up there. I think they're all here. You are 100% welcome to snap a picture of that if it works for you. If you want to get those scriptures down, I'm not going to be covering everything. I just want to give you a place to start. Number one, what's going to happen during this millennial kingdom? Christ will be king of the earth, and he will reign in perfect peace and prosperity. I've never been to the United Nations headquarters in New York. Maybe some of you have. I know that across the street from that, there is a park that is dedicated to someone who was instrumental in the UN, and it has the inscription on a wall that goes like this. 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That is Isaiah 2.4. And that sounds like a great goal, right? No more war. I like the sound of that. No more war. Man, we've had enough war. The idea of people taking their weapons of war and turning them into farming implements because they don't need them anymore, that's a wonderful thing. But this promise will not be brought to pass by the United Nations or by any other human effort. We should strive for peace, but the only time there's going to be peace like that is when Jesus is king over the whole earth. When Jesus reigns during the millennial kingdom, then war will be no more. Then peace will reign between nations and between individuals. Not before then. There was an old idea that the world would get better and better and more and more attuned to Jesus until this millennium would be brought to pass by people getting better and better and better and more and more faithful. Does it seem like that's working out to y'all? It does not seem like that's working out to me. So nobody really pushes that idea much anymore. So in those days, what's it going to be like? No one will be fighting. No one will go hungry. Every need will be met. Jesus will sit on the throne of David and his government will be perfect. 1 Corinthians 6.2 says we will get to rule with him. We'll get to help him out. You'll have a government job in those days and it'll be a good one. Everyone will be working for the for government. And, and you know what? I don't think you'll mind working for King Jesus. Some tells me his benefits will be pretty awesome. So number two, here's the second thing we need to know about the millennial kingdom. Earth will be restored like the Garden of Eden. Did you know the earth has been under a curse since Adam and Eve first chose to disobey the Lord? And part of that curse is now the, the ground is more apt to grow things like thorns and weeds. You planted a garden. Anybody ever planted a garden, planted flowers? Did anything come up that you didn't plant? Weeds, briars, other stuff. We have like some crazy vines. Those dumb bittersweet vines are taking over this county, man. That's the devil vine. I've got to cut them off my porch every year. The stuff we don't want to grow grows. That's because of the curse. It won't be like that in the millennium. The millennial kingdom the curse will be removed and fertility will be restored. Even wilderness lands will bloom like an incredible garden. Everybody will have a green thumb. You got, you got a green thumb? My thumb's a very pale green, okay? You know, got a green thumb, brown thumb, black thumb. Okay, you have a green thumb then. You'll be able to plant things. You won't need pesticide, fertilizer, weed killer. One of the most interesting things about the millennial kingdom is uh, how peace will be restored even in the animal kingdom. Do you like nature documentaries? No, Lucy doesn't. And I'll tell you why. Because the poor little gazelle gets chased down by the cheetah. All right, honesty time. Who roots for the gazelle? Who roots for the cheetah? Okay. These are the people you need to watch out for. Um. <laughs> It will not be like that in the millennial kingdom. We read in Isaiah 11 how wolves and lambs will lie down together safely. How predatory animals like lions will become herbivores and eat grass alongside oxen. How is that going to work? I don't know. God makes bears that eat plants. 
They're, they're called um, pandas. I think he can figure out how to feed a lion off of grass. I don't know. God who made him can make him. He can do whatever he wants. I'm not going to get in God's way and tell him what he can't do. But it's going to be something else. Children will be able to play in places where snakes are and not worry about getting bit. I grew up down in Dugsburg, grew up on a farm, and I was told, stay away from that rock pile, boy. Anybody else was told to stay away from the rock pile? There's snakes in there. And there were, and there are still a lot of snakes. Won't have to worry about snakes. Then won't have to worry about spiders or dangerous creatures. All right, won't have to run from any bees. You won't have to do anything because it's going to be safe. All violence will cease, even among animals. Now, that sort of thing is utterly impossible in our day. That's not going to work in our day, okay? Sorry, Lucy, they're going to keep on making nature documentaries, and sometimes the cheetah is going to win. I'm so very sorry. But these promises will be kept during the millennial kingdom, and there's some scriptures that you can take a look at there. All right, what's the third thing that will be happening here in the millennial kingdom? Third big, big idea, Israel will be regathered and established in the promised land. God made lots and lots of promises to the nation of Israel, and he's going to keep them. Some folks say, well, God doesn't have to keep his promises to Israel because Israel didn't keep their promises to God. Israel has gone astray and all of that. And say, well, God doesn't have to do that anymore. Some people even say, well, the church has taken the place of Israel. But I don't think you're going to work that out scripturally. That's not going to work. Number one, if God was ready to set his chosen people aside because they messed up, shouldn't that make us worry? Because we mess up. I'm so glad God does not toss us to the curb when we mess up because we're going to mess up god's going to keep all his promises to israel we should not look at it that god has that we're the replacement of israel that's not true we could say that we have been blessed to join them in the promises and that would be a lot closer to the mark he hasn't given up on his covenant people and he won't give up on us his new covenant people thank you jesus god's going to keep every single promise and the the jews during the tribulation period will be regathered in the promised land and for the first time they'll be fully obedient to god and be the shining witness to the world they were always meant to be. He's going to bless them beyond all imagining. All right, number four, there will be pure worship in a restored temple. The temple of God's going to be rebuilt. We have a lot of information there in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 and uh, about a new temple. People will come from all over the earth to Jerusalem to worship God there, make offerings not for sin but in a memorial of what Jesus has done. Jesus has already settled all of that. Number five, supernaturally good health and long life. By the way, I'm going to try to get uh, Pruitt, who does our podcast, to put these scriptures in the show notes. I have to make sure. So, Pruitt, if you're listening to this on the recording, make sure and get these in the show notes. I'll get them to you. So these scriptures will be available to those who are listening online. Uh, some of the population, of course, I say supernaturally good health and long life. Some of the population will be actually immortal, including you guys, if you believe in Jesus. So you won't have to worry about death or sickness. Even those who are technically mortal will be blessed with incredibly long life, good health. Uh, people will live to a ripe old age and be able to enjoy it. Not to where you get to the point where your body doesn't work anymore and it's hard to enjoy life or play softball like you used to. Man, I'm figuring that one out. Very humbling. Won't have to worry about these knees playing softball in the millennial kingdom, assuming I'm not busy planting a garden. Anyway, 
in those days, Isaiah tells us that someone who's 100 years old will be considered just a kid. Just a kid, 100 years old. Death from age or illness will be eliminated. Nobody will get sick. People with ailments and disabilities will be healed. And even if someone has the misfortune to be killed in an accident or something, I mean, Jesus is there, and he can just take care of that. Say, what, what happened now? <laughs> What's he been doing now? Let's, let's fix that. This uh, will be a day when death from age or illness is eliminated. When all these things are gone. A world with no more kids, kids being born, all these kids being born will be healthy and not have to fight an uphill battle from day one. Folks won't have any more heart trouble, no more cancer. Death will be subdued to God be the glory. That's the way it's going to be. Did you know we serve a God who always keeps His promises? God always keeps His promises. Some of these big ones will be taken care of in the millennial kingdom. All right, Some of these big, high-level promises. But let me tell you, He's not just interested in keeping His big promises. He'll keep His little promises. He'll keep His promises to you and to me today, tomorrow, and forever. He's not going to wait to the millennial kingdom to keep His promises. He'll keep His promise right now. Let me tell you some of the things that Jesus has promised you. He's promised to be with you all the way. My great-grandfather on my mom's side was the only other preacher in the family. Everybody else had good enough sense not to become a preacher. (laughs) That's kind of joking. But he told me, as I went to tell him I was called to preach, he didn't try to talk me out of it. He said, He'll go with you all the way. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll go with you all the way. He said that again and again. His mind was kind of failing in those days, he, but he understood what I was telling you. He said, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll go with you all the way. That's what I'm telling you right now. He ain't going to spare you from every little problem you've got. He ain't going to spare you from every big problem you've got. But he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll go with you all the way. All the way. And you might make it through the end of this life and have a pretty tough life. But there is a kingdom that is coming. You prayed that Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. This is the kingdom that's coming. It's going to be a good one, y'all. It's a good one. The verse that has guided us through this whole thing is 2 Peter 3.11 that says, Knowing that all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons should you be in all holiness and godliness? In other words, knowing that the world as we know it will come to a conclusion... How should we live? We shouldn't live for the world that's on its way out. We should live for the world that's on its way in. The kingdom will come, and I want you to be a part of it. God wants you to be a part of it. That's why he sent Jesus, so we can trust in him and be a part of that. I want us to go in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, in this world we do have trouble, but we pray that your kingdom will come. We know it's going to come. We just don't know when. We pray that you'll give us the faith to hang in there, to hold on, not just to survive, but to thrive in this world despite what the devil wants to do. Thank you that he is a defeated enemy and someday will be locked up and thrown in prison. Lord, we give you the glory for that in advance. I pray now for anybody listening to this, receiving this message, who has never yet trusted in Jesus, that they would turn their heart over to him and be saved and be a part of his kingdom and be ready to enjoy all these promises. Lord, help us to remember 
that you are faithful. You always keep your promises. That you will never lead us, leave us or forsake us. And you'll go with us all the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I'm so glad you're part of what we're doing. Take those brochures that you got. Hand them to somebody, okay? Let them know what is going on at this corner. God bless you all. Now we know what to do. Let's go live it.